a famous story of a man who was married for 50 years. And they asked him, usually after 50 years of marriage, a person is very tired, very worn out. And after 50 years of marriage, you look amazing. You're tan, you're handsome, you're young, you're vibrant. How do you do it? And so he responded, you know, when my wife and I first got married, we decided that we would never fight in the house. And therefore, every time an argument would come up, I would take a walk out in the cool, fresh air. Fifty years in the cool, fresh air, you got to look good. Okay. In this week's Torah portion, we are told, what is the reason to get married? Why should you get married? Let's see over here what the Torah tells us. In chapter number 36, verse number 3. It says that Esau had numerous wives, and one of the wives was Basmas Bas Yishmael. Her name was Basmas. Rashi, however, in verse number 3 says, is her name Basmas, or is it Machalas? Because earlier, in chapter number 28, it says that Esav married a woman by the name of Machalas. Rashi continues to go on to say here, Metzinu, I found Bagodas Medrish Sefer Shmuel in the Agodah, in the Medrish for the book of Samuel, that Gimel Mechlim Lehem Avinisehem. There are three people whose sins are forgiven. Number one, Geishin is Gayer, a convert that converts. If you convert, you are forgiven for all your sins. Because a convert is like a newly born child. So all the sins the convert had up until now is totally forgiven at the time of conversion. Furthermore, a convert is considered to be like a newly born child to the degree that according to Torah law, if a brother and sister convert at the same time, the brother can marry the sister. Because they are now considered to be totally new people from new families. Rabbinically, we advise them not to. However, according to Torah law, they could. So this is the first one. The second one is, One who becomes nominated for a prestigious position, like a king or a president, or a governor, a senator, a rabbi, a principal. When you get elected and nominated for a high position, you become forgiven. And the third one is one who gets married to a woman. When you get married, you are forgiven from your sins. These are the three different categories, says Rashi, of one who 
is forgiven for their sins. And therefore, Rashi concludes, V'lamad hatam mikan, and we learn this concept from right here, from this verse. From the verse that Esav married Basmas. Because now he married Basmas. And earlier she was called Machalas. Why was she called Machalas? The word Machalas means to forgive, to be Meichel. To teach us that his sins were forgiven when he got married. From here we see an encouraging word of why you should get married so that your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an Ashi. We find, however, in the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, it says over there a little different. It says over there that three people are forgiven. Number one, a Chacham, a great Torah scholar. Number two, a Chatan, a Chasun, a groom. And number three, a Nasi, a leader, a king. The Jerusalem Talmud does not say a convert that converts. Why not? Why does the Jerusalem Talmud omit it? Why does Rashi add it? First and foremost, the idea of a convert that converts, as we explained earlier, the Talmud tells us in Yavamis, page 22, side A, that person is forgiven because they are like a newly born child. So therefore, it's obvious that even according to the Jerusalem Talmud, that does not add the convert that converts into the three people who are forgiven, that even according to the Jerusalem Talmud, a convert is forgiven when they convert. Yet, the Jerusalem Talmud does not add it into the three because it's in a different category. It's in a category of its own. A convert that converts is like a newly born child. In contrast to the other three, which is the Chacham, the Rabbi, or the Groom, or the King, they are the same person. But now, they are wiped clean. Their slate becomes totally new, and they are able to start all over again. But we have to understand, what is the logic here between Rashi and Yudhishalmi? Why does Rashi add the convert? Why Jerusalem Talmud does not add the convert? Perhaps we can say, that Rashi is telling us that in order to be forgiven, it needs to be like a convert that converts. What does that mean? A convert that converts means that the person is now doing total tshuva, total repentance. Till now, they were allowed to eat any type of food. Till now, they were able to drive a car in shops. Till now, they were able to eat milk and meat together. Now, they're becoming Jewish. If that's the case, they have to change their entire life. It is a paradigm shift. And therefore, there needs to be tshuva in order to be a conversion. You can't just come along and say, today, I want to be Jewish. And then the rabbi is going to put you in the mikvah. There has to be this transformation. I, I accept God. I deny all other gods. I accept upon myself the entire Torah. All 613 commandments. 248 positive, 365 negative. It's a big transformation. So just like 
a convert, the reason why they're forgiven is because they do real tshuva, they do real true repentance. They're changing their entire life around. Hints of Sarashi that the same is true with a chassan who is getting married. That the reason why they are forgiven is not simply because they're standing under a chuppah with a bride. Because they realize now that their youth and their mistakes of the youth is something they must regret. And they make a resolution now to be a good husband and a good father and to be a breadwinner, etc., etc. And that is why they're forgiven. And the same is true, according to Rashi, one who becomes great, a president, etc., etc. The same idea that they realize they take on new responsibility. They can no longer be a child or do childish things. And therefore, this transformation, this new appointment, is a moment and time of introspection. And therefore, because of that introspection and that truth and that regret of the past, and to accept new positive resolutions for the future, they are therefore forgiven. So Rashi, who takes the simple approach to the Torah, the logician of the Torah, tells us why is it that a person who gets married is forgiven. It's very simple, because they do tshuva. You don't just walk under the chuppah and get forgiven. This is the approach of Rashi. According to the Jerusalem Talmud, it's very different. According to the Jerusalem Talmud, is the mere fact that they are now going under the chuppah, the mere fact that they were now appointed to this new position, the mere fact that the, the person is a great intellect and now given the position of the community leader, the rabbi, etc., etc., that alone is enough to bring about atonement. How do we understand this? We find when it comes to the day of the chuppah, the day of the marriage, a person is supposed to fast that day of the wedding. What is the reason you fast the day of the wedding? There are three basic reasons. One reason is because it's a day of Yom Kippur. Just like Yom Kippur, I fast for my regret of the past year's sins. The same is true, I'm starting a new life together with a new person, I got to start all over again. And therefore I fast on the day of the wedding. Which is interesting, that's why one of the reasons why the gown is a white gown. The collar wears a white gown. Why white? To show atonement, purity. We're starting all over again. And that's why the chassan puts on a kittel under the chuppah. Why? Again, today is his Yom Kippur. And by the way, it's interesting to note that a chassan, the groom, the first year on Yom Kippur, after the wedding, does not wear a kittel the first year. Because he had his Yom Kippur already under the chuppah. And therefore he does not wear the kittel the first Yom Kippur. And similarly, it's customary by Chabad and other communities that the wife, the kala, the bride, when she goes under the chuppah, removes all previous rings and the chassan unties his shoes and tie. No previous knots, no previous commitments, no previous attachments. We're starting from now, ground zero, a life together. We come in poverty-stricken. We come in without anything. 
We're starting to build a home together. So that's the first reason why we fast on the day of the wedding. Another reason is perhaps you will get drunk. In other words, you're excited. You come to your own wedding, you start drinking. Now you come under the chuppah, you have to make a decision. Are you marrying this woman or not? You got to give her a ring. You're so drunk, you can't find a ring. You're so drunk that you don't even know what you're saying anymore. You have to be in your right mind when you're signing a contract. So the wedding is a contractual observation. And therefore, you're sitting down, you're acknowledging the obligations, responsibility to get married. And if the husband and wife are both drunk, it's illegal to get married. So therefore, you don't drink until after the chuppah. That's the second reason why you fast. Number three, mitzvah chaviva aleihem. There's a concept when you have a new mitzvah. It's so beloved that we don't eat before that mitzvah. For example, there are those chassidim that have the custom not to eat before they hear the blowing of the shofar. Why? It's once a year, a mitzvah, to blow the shofar. I don't want to eat before I hear the blowing of the shofar. That's my most important thing today. Similarly, I'm making a brach on the lulav on the esrig. It's once a year on the holiday of Sukkot. I don't eat before I make the blessing on the lulav and the esrig. Why? It's a mitzvah chaviva. It's a beloved mitzvah. Marriage, we hope, is once in a lifetime. It's a beloved mitzvah. And therefore, we don't eat before that mitzvah. These are the three basic reasons. Now, this concept also applies to the three basic approaches of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. How does Yom Kippur atone for our sins? Why does it atone for our sins? Here, too, there are three opinions. According to the Rabbanon, according to the rabbis, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, only forgives for those who do teshuva, for those who repent. They regret the past, and they come to the shul, and they, they say, I'll hate, I'll hate, I hate, I sinned, I sinned, I sinned. Those people are forgiven. The opinion of Rebbe, Rabbi Huda Anasi, is even if you don't do tshuva, the mere fact that you entered into the day of Yom Kippur, that day itself is so holy, it raises a person of, up to the level of Lefnei Hashem Titoru, before God shall you be purified, the day itself atones. Even if you have no remorse. And then there's a third opinion, which seems to be the opinion of the Rambam, in the words of the Rabbanon. And that is, the Rambam says, the day forgives, mechapel l'shavim, for those who return. The Rambam says, the day forgives for those who return. He doesn't say, it forgives for those who do tshuva. He says, for those who return. Which means, even if I return, by coming to the shul once a year, I feel a connection, already I'm forgiven. And these three levels really connect with the three previous opinions of marriage, of why marriage forgives. According to the Rabbanon, marriage forgives. Why? It's like Yom Kippur. You got to do tshuva. And that is the opinion of Rashi. 
It's like a convert that converts. You have to do complete tshuva, or else the day of your wedding doesn't, doesn't forgive. Then you have the opinion of the Yishalmi. And that is the opinion of Rebbe. Rebbe says the day itself forgives. You don't have to do anything. The Jerusalem Talmud says the mere fact you get married, that's enough. You're forgiven. And then you have a third opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam says you're forgiven simply by showing up. And this would be the opinion of the Bereshis Rabbah. The Bereshis Rabbah says that Esav, on the day of his wedding, had a resolution. He wanted to convert. He had this contemplation. So this would be the opinion of the Rambam. Simply a person contemplates the idea of, hmm, maybe I should be better already that person is forgiven. And this also connects with the three ideas of fasting on the day of your wedding. According to the Rabbanon, who say Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva, why do you fast? You fast the day of your wedding for tshuva. According to the opinion of Rebbe, that says you don't have to do anything on Yom Kippur, why do you fast on the day of your wedding? So not to get drunk. And the third opinion of why do you fast because it's a beloved mitzvah, this is connected to the Rambam's approach that says simply contemplating tshuva, that's enough. In other words, it's a mitzvah chaviva. It's a beautiful mitzvah. I'm excited about it. That alone is enough to bring about the transformation and the mechila and the forgiveness. On a halachic level, what's the difference between the first reason and the second and third reason? Listen to this. Very interesting. If we say that the reason you have to fast on the day of your wedding is because it's a day of atonement and the, the fast is all about tshuva, regretting the past, then I need to fast the entire day. In other words, I cannot have a wedding 12 o'clock in the afternoon because I didn't have a whole day of fasting. Yom Kippur is a whole day. But if I say the reason of fasting is simply not to get drunk or because it's a beloved mitzvah, so I can get married 10 o'clock in the morning. As long as I'm not drunk under the chuppah, it's fine. So I fast until the chuppah. Now I get married, it's okay. In reverse. If we say that the reason why I fast is because it's a day of atonement, it's tshuva, then what happens if the chuppah takes place very late at night? So I'm fasting already from 6 o'clock in the morning. It's already sunset. Three stars appeared. Now already 5.30 at night. Three stars appeared. But, but it's going on and on and on until 10 o'clock. I didn't do a chuppah yet. Can I eat before the chuppah or not? So if it's because of atonement, if it's because of tshuva, I fasted the entire day. The day is over. I can eat. If it's in order not to get drunk, I still can't eat. 
Maybe I'll get drunk. And similarly, if it's because mitzvah chaviva, marriage is such a beloved mitzvah, how can I eat? I have to wait until I do the mitzvah of kedushin under the chuppah. So these are the different opinions here about marriage and how marriage atones. But one thing is for sure, you should get married. It's a good thing. This will bring true atonement to the chasen and the kala. But we have one final question. And that is, why do we derive this mitzvah? Why do we derive this concept that if you get married... And God willing, when you get married, you are atoned for your sins from who? From Esav. Esav was a Russia. Why do we learn this mitzvah from a Russia, a wicked person? We couldn't find anyone else like the story of Yaakov getting married or Yitzchak getting married. We need to bring a proof from Esav who was a wicked person. So let us understand what, what is the deeper mystical reason behind marriage. The purpose and the reason behind marriage, according to Torah, is not simply to keep each other company. The purpose of marriage is not simply for camaraderie. The purpose of marriage is that there should be you should be fruitful and multiply. That is the purpose of marriage, to have children. Now, just like there is physical children, biological children, there's also spiritual children. As the Talmud says, if you teach Torah to the son of your neighbor, it is considered as if you gave birth to that child. So if you inspire a young girl to light Shabbos candles, if you inspire a young boy to put on tefillin, if you inspire your neighbor to keep kosher, these people become your children. And therefore, says the Torah, you should know, any Jew, any person who dedicates their life and their time, and even if they designate a few hours a week to have spiritual children, to inspire other people to do acts of goodness and kindness, you have fulfilled the mitzvah of marriage. And therefore you are forgiven for your sins. You are forgiven for your sins. And this is why the Torah gives us the proof from Esav, Harasha. Because many of us have low self-esteem. And we say to ourselves, who am I? Who am I to tell my neighbor and even hint to my neighbor to light Shabbos candles? Who am I to tell my neighbor, by the way, you know, you're missing a mezuzah on your front door. Maybe I could buy you a mezuzah or give you a gift. Who am I? I'm no better than she is. I'm Ace of Russia. I'm like Ace of the Wicked. Comes the Torah and says, even if you think that you are as wicked and bad as Esau. Yet, if you stand up to the plate, and if you make that commitment, and if you decide 
that you want to sanctify a few moments a day, a few hours a week to help other people and teach other people, you are spiritually married and therefore you are atoned for all of your sins. I want to end with a, a story about marriage. I heard this from my uncle, who heard this from his father-in-law. There was a young girl living in Israel, and she was getting ready to go out on a date. She bought a beautiful dress and bought all this type of new makeup and did her hair and was ready now to go out with the young man. The proposed bacher, the proposed man, for some reason never showed up. And she was beside herself, waiting a whole night. He never shows up. And she ended up crying the entire night on her bed until the following morning. She realized at that time he wasn't coming to pick her up. And she moved on. Eventually, she married another young man, a very talented young man, and she lived happily ever after. In the interim, this young man, who was supposed to pick her up on the Shidduch, never called to say, I'm not coming, never called to say, I'm sorry, never called to say, perhaps you can forgive me for what I did. He, too, found someone and got married. However, this young man was now married for 10 years and had no children. So, in many communities, there is a contemplation that after 10 years of marriage, no children, perhaps you should seek a divorce, maybe marry somebody else. And as he was discussing these different approaches, a friend of his walked over and said, you know, maybe, just maybe, you should write a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in New York and ask him for his advice and blessing. The man said, look, I'm not a Chabadnik. I never met the Rebbe. He doesn't know who I am. What would he know about me and help me? I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> After a while, his friend continued to persist and so he just said, you know what, I'll do it. What can I lose? If the Rebbe will answer me, good. If he doesn't, also good. He writes a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He says his name, his mother's name. He tells the Rebbe his situation. And the Rebbe responds, perhaps in your earlier years you embarrassed a girl. And if so, you should go and ask for forgiveness. That was the Rebbe's response. This young man could not believe it. How does the Rebbe know? How does he remember? However, knowing the Rebbe being a tzaddik, the Rebbe a prophet, he was able to see these things. This young man decides to call this woman, who already is now married with children, and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, you remember me? He says, of course. Of course I remember you. 
Um, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm married for 10 years. I have no children. I wrote to the Rebbe. He told me I should call you and ask for forgiveness. And the young lady said, you know, it's so interesting because I was very upset that you didn't pick me up and more upset that you didn't call me to apologize. But I must tell you honestly that every Friday night when I light the Shabbos candles, I prayed to God that you should have children. I knew you were married. I knew you had no children. And I said, God, please, it shouldn't be because of me that he has no children. And I said to God, I forgive you. And God should bless you with children. But even so, for some reason, that was not enough. You had to call me. And you had to make that, that initial step to apologize for the blessing to happen. After the conversation, nine months later, Baruch Hashem, he was blessed with his first child and then later a second child, etc., etc. And today he's, he is a grandfather of many grandchildren. And so we see that even though, on one hand, the wedding is a day of mechila, the wedding is a day of forgiveness. We know that God only forgives a person for the sins between man and God. When it comes to Yom Kippur, we say, God, I'm sorry if I broke the Shabbos. I'm sorry if I ate non-kosher. But you can't go before God and say, God, I'm sorry for stealing money from my friend. I'm sorry for embarrassing my friend. God cannot forgive you for embarrassing your friend or for stealing from your friend. You have to return the money and you have to call up and say, I'm sorry. So with this in mind, with doing acts of goodness and kindness through spiritual marriage and spiritual children, may God bless each and every one of us with shalom bayis, with true biological children and true joy in your marriage and to have the ultimate marriage between God and the Jewish people. The Mashiach will come and the world will be a world of peace and tranquility. And we will see our children and grandchildren, all who go in the ways of God and Torah and mitzvahs, and the ultimate blessing, peace between all nations. Amen.